Hi all, dear friends. Welcome to this new episode of my podcast, A Digital Tomorrow. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Renata Thiebaud. Welcome to my show. Thank you, Oriol. Thanks for the invitation. No, it's actually my pleasure to host you uh, here uh, today. And well, before starting, uh, I think it's important to let our listeners know a bit more about uh, about my guest, about uh, Dr. Renata Thiebaud. So basically, uh, Renata is the representative of Alibaba Global Initiatives for their expansion in several key markets. She's also Chief Operating Officer, COO, of the consulting firm Green Proposition and partner at an award-winning e-commerce agency and Alibaba TP, web to asia So basically, as you can see, she's very experienced in the area of e-commerce operations and digital transformation. She's handled over 1,000 brands with a global portfolio of over 5 billion revenue, supporting different governmental and incubation projects uh, globally. So, uh, well, once again, uh, Renata, welcome to, to my show. And well, uh, before moving forward, I must say to, to all uh, my listeners that it's uh, especially interesting for me to host uh, Dr. Thibault today, and not just because of her uh, experience, but also because uh, most of my previous episodes, even those uh, focusing on China, focus more on, on the idea of uh, TechFin super apps, but I didn't deal specifically with uh, the topic of e-commerce. So having today such an e-commerce expert is going, of course, to be uh, very interesting for, for myself and I hope that for all of you uh, listeners. So uh, without further ado, I think uh, it would be interesting to ask you, uh, Renata, about your uh, personal uh, journey. What brought you to China? What made you become interested in e-commerce? Uh, what can you share about your journey to our listeners? So I arrived in China in 2005, so it's been uh, over 16 years now that um, I've been working with different clients, supporting them on their digitalization in the Chinese market. Uh, so initially, I landed in, in China to support one of um, Nestle's brand of uh, chocolate called Garoto. And uh, after that, I joined the United Nations UNHCR to support the e-procurement system. And also at that time, I had the uh, opportunity to help out with the earthquake uh, that happened in China back in 2008. So it was quite an amazing experience. And because of my background in logistics and supply chain and procurement, I started working with e-commerce. So I've been working with e-commerce since then for over a decade, uh, mostly working with foreign brands that want to enter China to start their online business, or mostly Alibaba platforms like Tmall, but also all the marketplaces. And uh, since perhaps uh, three years ago, we started doing the opposite as well. So at Green Proposition, we also support brands in other markets rather than just China because of this know-how and expertise that uh, we have acquired in the most advanced e-commerce economy in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, thank you very much for, for sharing this. And I also wanted to talk about uh, the fact that, uh, same as me, you also hold a, a PhD 
but uh, as far as I know, and please correct me if I'm wrong, you are mostly right now focused on, on well, uh, not so much on academia, even though I saw that you write articles, but you're not like working full time for any university. So um, my question to you would be, how uh, would you say that having a PhD has uh, benefited your uh, your career, even though you're not working full time in academia? In what ways do you think it might be beneficial for you? I saw the need to continue with my academic studies, uh, especially in the field of law, because uh, e-commerce, especially cross-border e-commerce, is all about regulations, right? Mm -hmm. So through this understanding, I could support different governments and different uh, companies as well uh, as in China and between China and other countries. So I think that in the end, this understanding of cross-border e-commerce was very beneficial for my career in this field. Though I am not full-time in academia, uh, and I do believe that mixing and matching academia with also professional experience in the private industry is very helpful. At Alibaba, I am a professor at the Alibaba Business School and Taobao University. It is a branch of the group for education. So we do have different programs that are 100% educational related, not only business. I fully concur with you. I, I myself, I did a PhD as well in, in law and economics, uh, partially in Hong Kong as well. And well, uh, having this PhD, uh, I mean, maybe the topic of my PhD is something that I don't use every day, but uh, the skills that I acquired from doing it are something that have, um, well, have proven to be beneficial for me in my professional experience, uh, definitely. So that's why I wanted to ask you as well. Yes, yes, I agree with you. No, because I know that sometimes when people see the doctor before a name, they tend to think that, oh, that person is working at the university and that's all, but I think there's much more to it. Yes, for sure. In my case, it was purely because it would be very beneficial for me to understand more about cross-border e-commerce and trade uh, related between China and other countries. Well, uh, I would like now to talk about uh, e-commerce in China. As I said before, I did some episodes of my podcast before uh, focusing on China. I talked with an expert uh, about uh, digital yuan. Then I also talked to another expert about uh, super apps in China. But well, since you're an expert in e-commerce, I wanted to hear more uh, from you about um, what does the um, the e-commerce uh, landscape look like in China, opportunities, uh, risks, anything that, that comes to my mind that might be uh, useful for our listeners. Yeah, it is very interesting actually to um, highlight first and foremost that e-commerce in China is very different from Hong Kong and from Taiwan. Uh, it is a different ecosystem and different players that you, you do have in China. And China is very advanced. I think the uh, competition between different players and also investment into infrastructure uh, is um, what brought to China to, to the top one position in the world. So you have Alibaba, you have JD, but also um, a few years ago, you had Pinduoduo. Now you can see TikTok and other social media apps like WeChat, Little Red Book that are also 
um, boosting the social commerce in the country. So this is a very healthy environment where e-commerce China was a few years ago and especially is right now uh, to the development of uh, e-commerce in terms of technology efficiency, right? So that's the reason why actually China is uh, leapfrogging other countries, especially the US and Europe. Why do you think, though, that this happened in China? Because, I mean, you are the expert, but correct me if I'm wrong. I think that this phenomenon started before, for example, in the US. I mean, I started to buy online from Amazon in the US in the 90s. I think it was like 1997. And well, I don't know if China had any e-commerce platform by then, but I guess that back then the US was more advanced than China. So why um, is it that today, as you said, China's is like the world's number one in e-commerce? Um, how come we arrived uh, to this situation? It is a combination of factors. First is the population. Uh, the second one is that China is a manufacturing country and it started in the 90s, for example. So when uh, Taobao was launched in 1999, uh, there was already you know, an existing industry where uh, manufacturers, they could sell online directly to the consumers. Then the middle class. So as soon as the population started having more purchasing power, uh, it helped with e-commerce as well as um, internet penetration. So from the government side, there was a lot of investment into uh, infrastructure, logistics, and that's why it makes the whole ecosystem a 360 degree of e-commerce very developed in China. So it is a combination of factors. I couldn't list just one. I see. No, no, thank you for sharing it. Um... An interesting analysis. And you mentioned before as well the case of uh, Hong Kong and Taiwan. And I wanted to focus on the one of Hong Kong because I can vouch for what you said before. I can vouch for the idea that um, in general, uh, the e-commerce trends in Hong Kong are very different from those in the mainland to the point that, uh, well, even most of my local friends in Hong Kong, they do not um, shop online as often as people in mainland China. Yeah, I, I know that some of them use Taobao. I myself uh, did in Hong Kong, but Still, uh, I would say that generally speaking, uh, overall, people in Hong Kong do not use e-commerce to the extent that people in mainland China. And you mentioned the case of Taiwan as well, which I'm not so so mature as the case of Hong Kong. But why do you think we can see this um, difference between people in, in Hong Kong and people in the mainland? I do believe that um, uh, uh, the internet penetration especially brought a lot of changes in the society. We are talking about over 90% of the overall population in China having access to internet and to mobile. So because of, again, this uh, infrastructure that was built, uh, especially in rural areas, in more remote areas, it contributed to the development of e-commerce. And now you have uh, the situation that um, uh, the, the so-called so farm to fork, where you have the platforms like Pinduoduo, Alibaba doing a great job, not only uh, to train 
the farmers on how to use e-commerce to sell to final consumers, but also uh, through different programs and investments together with local governments to um, to bring more job opportunities back home and more technologies. So I do believe that um, the, this combination uh, between uh, public-private partnership also contributed for the population to be more used to, to use the mobile, especially uh, the ones who are very busy and they are you know, used to use the phone to chat but also as a mean of entertainment, as a mean of um, shopping online. So everything is within the same ecosystem, pretty much, if we take the example of WeChat. So that's why it is more embedded in China than perhaps in other places. Mm -hmm. I see. And, well, you mentioned before um, uh, new technologies and all these ideas. So I wanted to ask you about um, um, how certain new technologies can be used or applied to the area of e-commerce. For example, artificial intelligence. I saw that you wrote an article, if I'm not mistaken, on, on this topic. So how do you think that artificial intelligence can be used to make uh, e-commerce processes, well, I don't know, maybe faster, uh, more efficient? The main uh, barrier of e-commerce is and will always be that the consumer is not able to touch and feel the product before they buy, right? So the um, AI, for example, new technologies, they're very helpful to bring experience first and foremost to consumers. So you do have technologies right now that we implement at Tmall, for example, you have different floors, like a second floor, just like uh, the feeling of a shopping mall inside of the store, or whenever you watch a live streaming within the store, especially with Taobao Live, you are also able to have a tool that you can see the environment of a house, for example, in 3D while you watch the live streaming, and then you can see the product uh, in different environments of the house, in different places, then with just one click, you can shop um, the, the product if you feel like. So these uh, technologies, they're very helpful for this, uh, to bring a better experience to consumers. Mm -hmm. And well, back to, to the idea of e-commerce in general nowadays, I mean, we are all going through the COVID-19 pandemic, and even though China has managed to control it much more, uh, more efficiently or much better than many other countries in the West, the reality remains that the pandemic is global. And, and even if China's internal situation is not well as bad as in other countries, uh, still, I mean, uh, it's affecting uh, every country because, uh, I mean, there are less flights, so uh, no one is immune to it. So my point is, and how is COVID-19 affecting uh, e-commerce or e-commerce platforms in China? And well, how long do you think it will take for, for these platforms to go back to normal in case they are not in a normal situation right now? Well, there is a huge impact with logistics. So um, uh, I have many clients doing cross-border e-commerce, uh, especially between the US and China and Europe and China. And they do struggle to find containers, for example, to book boats to ship their products to China. 
Uh, and apart from that, the cost increased a lot, sometimes um, around 100% increase. So it doubled basically. So uh, yeah, this is um, uh, a situation that nobody could foresee before it started. And uh, fortunately, we do not know when it's going to be over. But at the same time, it also created other opportunities, especially abroad for brands that saw the local markets as small for them and saw that uh, China could be a very good country for them to uh, start selling to, especially because Chinese consumers, you know, they appreciate foreign products depending on the products, depending on the categories. And with the pandemic, we can give an example of more healthy related products, right? Or more niche ingredients. So that obviously more cons than pros, but the brands, they started to adapt to the new normal. Mm -hmm. I see. And you mentioned before as well, trade between China and, and the US and I don't want to talk about politics, but undoubtedly there were some trade-related frictions these last uh, few years. So how do you think this, um, well, some people call it trade war, we can call it uh, tension or friction. I mean, however we call it, that situation, how did it affect uh, e-commerce in, in China? Did it like affect this sector like enormously or not? And, and how are uh, brands uh, coping with it? Um, look, um, it, it's a, a very intriguing question because um, I do work with the Lithuanian government mm -hmm. uh, to run the Lithuania pavilion with around 16 brands in China. Okay. And there are some political frictions uh, between Lithuania and China right now. Indeed. And there is the banning of um, imported products from Lithuania that the Chinese customs wouldn't uh, allow uh, these products to enter the uh, Chinese market. And because of that, my clients cannot sell online. So yeah, it is an unfortunate situation. And unfortunately, also politics uh, much influenced trade between countries. So it's the same of the the same thing with the U.S. between uh, U.S. and China with a higher tax, right, and uh, duties, and uh, with Australia as well, and now with Lithuania, I think uh, the situation is a bit more out of control. Well, I hope everything goes back to normal. Uh... I just wanted to make a reference to it because, well, I know that this area may affect uh, e-commerce, of course. And you also talked before about, um, well, uh, brands seeing the opportunity to enter the Chinese market. Um, because you said that, of course, this current COVID pandemic situation has many more cons than pros, but still there were some pros. So about that, I wanted to ask you, I know it's a very broad question. I mean, I did a master's just on this topic, so it's difficult to summarize this, but I mean, overall, how difficult is it, would you say, for a foreign brand to establish in China? And I, I know it depends on the sector. It's not the same for a luxury brand than it is for a, I don't know, for a car making brand. But overall, mm -hmm. um, would you say is, it is like um, more difficult now maybe than 10 years ago or, or same as before? Like any ideas on that that, can, that you can share with me? Yeah, um, 
I do believe that the main barriers are still language and culture, mm-hmm. right? Selling to China, it means that you really need an in-depth knowledge and studies of the Chinese market to understand the consumer behavior, uh, the taste of consumers, the colors that they prefer with the packaging, just adopting the same strategy as abroad does not work in China. So this is um, the main uh, topic that I, I like tackling to uh, different governments and different companies that they do need to adapt to what they do uh, to the Chinese market. And then um, operational cost, I think, is the second point that um, brands should consider, depending on the business models. For example, some companies, they find it's much easier to partner with a distributor, sell the products. However, they do not have uh, any knowledge of what the distributor is doing in China with their brand or if um, they are adopting a very low price strategy, et cetera, et cetera. So there is nothing wrong when uh, working with a partner or distributor. However, the brand needs to know exactly what they are doing, right? Because it can cause damage to the brand or in the future, they could go to a litigation regarding uh, brand selling authorization, the Chinese market or trademark, etc. And other business models like opening a B2C store on Tmall and JD, the main players, is still very costly. So the brands need also to understand uh, every single business model and to do an assessment of the pros and cons of each of them before choosing some of them. So you have a Taobao Pindudu, for example, free of charge, you can open your store, uh, you can have a little investment in marketing and social media, and it's much, much lower um, costs compared to Tmall and JD, for example. However, the products need to be imported into China uh, compared to cross-border e-commerce, which there is no need for that. So everything um, in China needs to be well thought and well planned before entering the market. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned before uh, operational uh, costs. And well, I think it's it's a very interesting idea topic that we cannot like discuss for long, but it is true that uh, well, a few years ago, I mean, 10, 15, uh, certain foreign companies uh, chose to go to China simply because the costs were low. But now, I mean, the more um, developed and, 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 and well, yes, I would say that China is becoming in every sense, costs are of course going up. I mean, uh, manpower costs and any kind of costs to the point that we are seeing many uh, European or, or from other countries manufacturing companies which are choosing to go to, let's say, Vietnam or other countries in Asia, Bangladesh, rather than China. Um, how do you think this is affecting China? Like, are we going towards a model where China maybe is going to manufacture um, not so cheap products? Um, how is it affecting the, the scenario in China? You have um, to see a big push from the government also, and um, the consumers welcoming uh, Chinese products more and more, especially 
uh, cosmetics, beauty products, and fashion products, they are doing very well in the domestic market, and they are uh, now planning to go abroad, right? So um, there, there are the two sides of the coin. I think that China um, is no longer the, the country of cheap, fake products like before. No, China is one of the largest investors um, of um, R&D, uh, new patents and technology, right? And so many new brands of cosmetics that really have a very good quality, very high quality. Mm-hmm. So China is slowly shifting. Uh, the uh, previous business model to something that is more uh, valuable uh, towards consumer eyes. And about this topic, um, well, perhaps uh, you could help me about how to convey this message, because uh, for years I found myself uh, trying to kind of defend the idea that um, not everything that comes from China, as we said, needs to be cheap or uh, of poor quality. I mean, cheap things may come from China, poor quality ones, if you want to pay like a little money, but then if you want to pay much more, you may get uh, like amazing products from from great brands. I mean, nowadays, uh, either cell phones or, or, or fridges or any kind of product coming from China may be as good or even better as any product in the West. It all depends on which brand you're buying and how much you want to, to spend. But still, there is still some kind of, um, well, uh, some kind of idea or image in, in the West that uh, that things coming from China are cheap but of poor quality. And this idea is changing slowly, but it is kind of still there. So how would you like uh, help me like uh, convey the message to, to people that Chinese products may be as good or as bad as, as the products from anywhere else? And it all depends on how much you spend. I mean, first of all, do you agree with my thoughts? And Yeah, I, I do agree with you. And um... It's not only related to the products uh, themselves. You do have many e-commerce platforms that are becoming very big players uh, abroad. You have TikTok in China is doing abroad is TikTok. That is the top one uh, app uh, in many countries, right? Then you have uh, another marketplace called Shein, S-H-E. IN that mm. is also a very good platform for uh, fashion uh, products. So these indirectly help to build the Made in China label uh, globally, right? And move um, uh, a bit away from the old uh, <laughs> uh, cliche of saying uh, just poor quality from China and, and and the products also, they can benefit from this image building that these other players or Xiaomi, Huawei also have abroad. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for, for sharing this. And well, before um, ending our discussion, before uh, wrapping it up, I wanted to ask you briefly about, um, in general, China's approach to uh, digitalization and new technologies. I know you mentioned that before as well when talking about artificial intelligence and e-commerce, but if you could like summarize like uh, in a few seconds, uh, how would you describe uh, what China is doing in this area? Because you mentioned uh, how much China spends in R&D. So what's China doing well? What's China doing like different from, from other countries? 
Yeah, uh, I will give you two different examples that China is really uh, investing a lot into technology in e-commerce. The first one is logistics, using robotics and smart logistics for faster delivery or drones, for example. And uh, the second one is really to bring all of these societal and economical changes through technology or through e-commerce in the countryside. So you do have, for example, the Taobao village that revolutionized uh, many uh, clusters and villages uh, in the countryside, Pinduoduo, JD, they also have their own programs as well. So uh, even Xi Jinping, uh, mentioned the role of the e-commerce uh, players, the marketplaces in China to help alleviating extreme poverty that China already eradicated actually. So it is the role of e-commerce not only to help consumers to shop better <laughs> online, but also to bring all of these changes uh, regarding the social economic changes and also regarding uh, technology disruption. Well, actually, this idea of um, e-commerce as a tool to alleviate uh, poverty is a very interesting one to the point that I think that we could devote like one uh, single episode to it because I think there's much more uh, to it. But uh, when it comes to today, we are running out of time. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure, Renata, to host you uh, here. I learned a lot from you about uh, e-commerce in China, digitalization in China. And as I said, uh, I want to learn more for you in the future if you want to come again to my um, show to talk about, for example, what we said now about uh, e-commerce as a way to alleviate poverty or anything else you want to discuss, you know, my doors are open. Yeah, thank you for the pleasant discussion. And I really appreciate your time to discuss about China and the digital tomorrow. Well, thank you very much. It's been my pleasure. And to all my listeners, thank you for listening to this episode. And please stay tuned for the next ones. Bye.